Today's episode is brought to you by Pond5. Pond5, that's a small body of water, and the number five, is an online marketplace for stock video, images, audio, and more, which can be instantly downloaded for legal use by filmmakers, podcasters, musicians, designers, YouTubers, and other media makers. Stock media opens up an entirely new world of creative options and allows you to produce content better, cheaper, and faster. And did you know you can sell your media on Pond5? Tens of thousands of artists around the world sell on the site, and they're making a living by doing what they love, making media. So what place better to sell to and to buy from than Pond5? And through January 1st, you can use the promo code WRITERS for 15% off all your purchases. That's Pond5, small body water, number 5, with the promo code WRITERS with a capital W for 15% off all your purchases. Thanks to Pond5 for sponsoring this podcast. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. Ben, I listened to, I think it was you, your, um, your podcast that has the big intro explaining ratings. Is that you? Oh, that was not me explaining it. That was Kyle Killen, oh, who is a mad genius. Yeah, that was uh, But how cool is that? I've been in TV for like 15, 20 <laughs> years and never understood what I understood after I listened to it. Absolutely. It was really educational. Yeah, people should go check that out. I mean, it's really... Um, Thank you. I mean, literally, I never understood. And, and, and I yeah. still kind of blacked out when he gets into the like share and mm-hmm. households, but when he talks about like what it means today for the new models of television. I thought it was incredible. It's really interesting. Is yeah. this something... Jenny Connors here, you guys. We Hi. got her. Finally. You're welcome. <laughs> Finally. You're welcome, the internet. Finally. Um, is this something you even have to think about on girls these days? Like, I know you've come from network stuff. Yeah, but like... it was actually a hard habit to break. Really? I, but happily, obviously. Um, you know, in network, when I first started, there was actually a thing that was... You'd got you'd get the fast nationals by um, calling. You do you, have you heard about oh this? My God, there yes. was a phone number. Fox did it, and there was a phone number, and they would tell all the ratings that you'd wake up the next morning at six a.m. and call. And um, it was always like I always felt like you could tell that the person was sad about your ratings because it was just a guy recording them. <laughs> um, and then oh Zap Two it happened, that. which changed it. But so I had that. Um, instinct just to kind of wonder what people were watching the next day and the first time girls aired i called casey Bloys, who's um you know one of our great friends and executives at hbo and he i said so what are the ratings and he was like and this was like 11 or 12 in the morning and he said um i don't know let's check and i i (laughs) I was so stunned i could not believe it like they really mean it Hmm. They really mean it. It is not something... I mean, listen, they're happy to talk about 8 million people watching Game right. of Thrones and who wouldn't be, um, but they it is not. They do not live and die by that, by any stretch of the imagination. And one of the things that was explained very well by your colleague was that, that uh, you know, it, it matters that people are talking about shows, mm-hmm. too, and social media and all that. Was that was the thing I wondered about. Like, how much is that the conversation that the executives have with you guys... Um, and and not very do they much. court more? Really? They, I mean, honestly, they. It's so crazy. It's like how great HBO is, but they don't. They don't even talk to us about it that much. Wow. They really don't. I mean, they they let us in on all the promotion and marketing, and 
we have a lot of um, influence over that content, what the billboards look like, <clears throat> That's what great. the ads look like. We approve every single trailer, things like that. But they have, uh, you know, unbelievable people doing that job much better than we ever could. And we're just happy to be included in the choices. But they don't, I mean, the, no one's ever talked to us about Twitter mm-hmm. or anything like that. They, um, I think, you know, occasionally we'll get a good review and they'll say, we'll get an email saying congratulations. But, you know, Lena wrote a book and just got an amazing review by Michiko Kakatani. And they wrote about that, too. And that isn't the show. That's yeah, just that's so cool. They're just friends and <laughs> lovers. Um, but, you know, uh, so so we don't hear that much about it. They really kind of just let us make our show. Real. Which is unreal. Yeah, that's how, – how do you get away with that? I don't know. I mean, and, there's and something – don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, I don't know how to break it to you about the, no these microphones. To this, right? You got that right. <laughs> Sorry, advertisers. <laughs> um, when, when did you come on board this uh, girls program? Um, Lena had gone in to meet with HBO and they made a blind script deal with her and they were looking for a supervisor. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was her supervisor. Now I'm just – Right. Her partner, sure. um, because she learned instantly how to make television, <laughs> like what it took me 15 years to make. She <laughs> learned in about two and a half weeks. But um, <laughs> she she really, uh, there was nothing. And then Judd came on board shortly after, mm-hmm. and then and then she just started writing. And we, Judd was just saying this actually to me like 20 minutes ago, which was so funny. For us, Lena was like, we thought, oh, my God, this is like, going to be huge this is like the most she you know she's so popular it's so big and really that was just in our heads like we had seen tiny furniture it hadn't even come out yet how funny and it wasn't it was critically acclaimed but it wasn't like a huge financial success um and but just in our world we kind of always treated it like we were making a show with the biggest star in the world um and you know she is. <laughs> I mean, does. So tell me, if you would, a little bit about that process of figuring out what the show would be. Well, I know when Lena went into HBO, she said, I feel underrepresented on television. Mm-hmm. I don't feel, she said, I have all these friends, and I don't feel like you're seeing these women just out of college trying to, like, make it mm-hmm. in the world and what that looks like. And um, we were very lucky also with HBO in that, we had this template, which was tiny furniture, right? Hmm. That existed in the world. And they had seen it, and that's why they brought her in, because they liked it, and they saw her as a unique voice. And so when Judd and I came in, it was like, okay, let's make this like tiny furniture, but it's like a little more accessible, more young people, funnier, a what little is, less I'm, parents. I'm curious about the accessible part. Yeah. Um, well, that's our version of accessible. I, well, <laughs> well, but, but I think that's true. And well, I would say like one thing we did that's different from the movie is that her parents, that she's from the Midwest. Mm -hmm. She's from Michigan. She didn't grow up in like this incredibly sophisticated household with two artist parents. And I think that makes a difference with who she is, who that character is. And it's more relatable. Mm -hmm. Um, That makes sense. Things like that. Just little things um, that, that aren't, you know, blazingly, uh, blaringly, glaringly. What is that word? Glaringly, blaringly, (laughs) blazingly, blazingly obvious. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to the new. That's going to be in Girls Next Year, you guys. It's going to be huge. Um, you heard it here first. <laughs> but so uh, you know, things that weren't, it, it, things like that, little things that weren't mm-hmm. that obvious, but um, that in our minds sort of made a difference in terms of 
accessibility. Mm-hmm. The know? thing the thing I've heard a lot about uh, from people who have developed with HBO. Yeah. Uh, first is about how long it always takes. I know, which was not the case. Was not the case us. for you guys. It it all happened inside of a year. That's. Amazing. It's amazing and apparently very <laughs> yeah. unusual. So we are really, really lucky. But I do think part of that came from this template. So it's mm-hmm. like, because when you do um, a pilot anywhere else, you go in and pitch the pilot, right? And then they buy it. And then you hand in the pilot and, you know, it was based on a 15-minute pitch. So expectations are just going to be different. Mm-hmm. So they don't know quite what they're getting. So then already there can be a level of disappointment or just, you know, different, differentness sure. that they were expecting. Then from there, you make the pilot and everyone in that room is going to have seen it differently. They're going to see different casting. They're going to see different sets. They're going to see different film quality, Whether you know, all those things, different color palettes just because you imagine things differently in your head. And so in some ways that system sets people up for disappointment. And so with us, they knew what it was going to look like. We used the DP for tiny furniture. They knew who the lead was. It was Lena. Yeah. They knew what the tone of writing was. And so all of those things, I think had them there. They didn't have to go through those kind of disappointments and adjustments of expectations. That makes so much sense, yeah. and it seems to to it's be why. System. Yeah, it seems to be why more and more people are doing this. They're creating doing, like, as pilot much presentations. of the, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think you. I was. Um, you know, I got. Went to, I did a show called In the Motherhood at ABC, and mm-hmm. we did. They gave us an order without. Yeah, even that. a pilot script, and I think that is a little bit of as exciting and as fun as it is to get that. I wouldn't really. I mean, I was much younger, so I didn't really have a voice that was that mm-hmm. clear. Um, but for, it's it's a little bit really not managing expectations well. Sure. Because they haven't even seen the pilot. Right. So they don't know at all what it's going to well, be. Well, it also doesn't account for the learning process of making that pilot and working with these actors for the first time. And That's working right. with And then your having your all the months to absolutely. rejigger it or yeah. anything. Um, the other thing I always hear about people who have developed with HBO is HBO pushes you to be less accessible. Um... I don't think I'd use the words less accessible, but I do think they they definitely push you away from something that's familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think because I kind of think that everything that's human is potentially accessible. I mean, it's like that's a great way to Game of it. Thrones. <laughs> like I don't kill people or rape people that much. That much, I said. Okay. Right. But uh, <laughs> but but you know. I I also can relate to certain parts of it, and I think, you know, when they have, not of the killing and murdering, but other the romance. I was going to let people read into <laughs> mother, that what they the, wanted. <laughs> the motherhood. The, yeah. um, no, I don't know, but uh, I do think... The Machiavellian know, scheming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you think I got up here today? You don't have to tell me. Um, so, yeah, I think um, that that anything that's human can be mm. accessible, and so... I don't think they're trying to say make it more narrow yeah. in any way. I think they just, you know, it's the, ju- the Judd's thing is always push towards the truth. Push toward, if you have the truth, then you can do anything. And I think um, with them, it's just if they see something that seems familiar, they will say, well, that seems familiar. Let's not do that version. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and that's it, that's why they're turning out interesting stuff. Yeah. That's why it's not the same. And they're, I mean, else. it's a dream to develop. I know everyone says this, but it's it's incredible to develop with them because um, 
I think one reason is that everyone's had their job there for a very long time and feels mm -hmm. really safe in their job, and so no one is giving notes for notes' sake. And because they're the studio and the network at the same time, you don't have this double layer. Right. And um, so it's just uh, kind of a dream in that way. And I've never gotten a note that I thought someone gave for no reason. And all of the biggest disputes we've had with them, which are few and far between, mm -hmm. but have been just us on the phone with Mike Lombardo and listening to each other, like That's really listening amazing. to each other. And he, you know, helped us like tremendously on some, when we were doing the, um, the, the Elijah having sex with Marnie stuff. He said, I, I just don't get it. I don't see why he'd do it. Hmm. And then that got us to the place where Elijah loses his erection, which I think is like a much powerful version of that story anyway, because then he's really ashamed and she's ashamed and they both feel worse. Mm -hmm. Um, and which is always great when you can end a <laughs> scene where people feel horrible. Um, and and that came from a conversation with Mike. Hmm. So things like Are that. Are these the tenor of the notes that you get? Justify yeah, well, these actions or hit this harder? Yeah, I mean, not I, honestly, it's like, at this point we're also in our fourth season, right. so we understand them, they understand us. But, you know, people make the mistake, I think, of saying about HBO, like, oh, well, they just leave you alone. That's why they're so great. Mm -hmm. And that has not been the case for us. They're just actually smart collaborators. Which is more valuable. Which is more valuable. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so, so coming on to this project from the very beginning, yeah. uh, where were you coming from? And, you know, Lena came in with the idea, I, I'm... Yeah. Un underrepresented on TV, so I yes. want to make a show about me. But are you in this show as well? What what DNA do you I have mean, in yes, the show? I mean, yes, tons of it. It's just that it's my 20-year-old self. And yeah. sometimes, you know, the grown-ups, too. But um, I think everyone who works on the show is represented mm -hmm. in some way. I mean, the truth is, is that the first season was much more based on Lena's personal stories, at least the beginning of the first season. And then it became about everyone's stories. Sure. And, and everyone has a story of being that age and having some version of that struggle and some version of those humiliations or mistakes and first job and first boyfriend, all those kinds of things. You know, everyone yep. has that, even, even the oh, absolutely. men on our show. Yeah. Uh, what does your writer's room look like and what does your production schedule look like for the show? Um, well, I'm so bad with dates. But um, our production Rough. schedule, we start around... December or January, and we start doing like a very like a two week writers room. Mm -hmm. How many writers do you guys okay, so generally it's me. have? You tell me if I forget. <laughs> okay, it's um, me and Lena and Judd, and is he usually in the room? For... He's on and off in That's the great. room. Wow. Um, um, he loves to come, and we love to have him. So as much as we can do it. Um, so me, Lena, uh, Judd, Bruce, Kaplan. Murray Miller, Jason Kim, Sarah Hayward, and Paul Sims. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and uh, and it's changed over the years, but we're, good we're pretty room, solid now. Yeah, it's the biggest room we've had. And sometimes <gasps> in the beginning, we'll bring in like one or two kind of just ringers to come and sit with us. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a couple of writers uh, this year um, from Looking. Mm -hmm. who just came and sat with us, which was really fun and just, like, a different perspective. And, um, you know, we, we're we really open to uh, a lot a lot of different ideas. But Is there a lot of crying in the room? There, there has been. I'm not I'm surprised. telling you, it is a very emotional room. I'm sure. It's a very funny room, but it's a very emotional room, too. 
Absolutely. Well, you're mining personal material. Yes, we are definitely mining personal material, and we're not. Um, we're never a place looking so hard for the joke. So, mm-hmm. oh, that's true. You know, it's it's a lot of. Um, I mean, we get to the jokes, mm-hmm. but we don't have we don't have that structure where it's like set up joke, set up joke. Right. So generally, the funny. situations tend to we find the humor within yeah. them. And yeah, and from the characters yeah. certainly. Um, but you come from like that kind of hard joke background. And yeah, I, I, I think some I of your writers do too. I mean, you know, my first job was on Undeclared, mm-hmm. so I oh, learned. True. From Judd, and yeah. Judd was my grad school, and mm-hmm. um, kind of continues to be my grad school. But he, so he's always pushing for the truth. He's always worried about the joke. Second, he's always looking for the emotional story. So I would say I learned that. So even though I have done plenty of time in hard comedy rooms, it's still where my head goes instantly. Mm-hmm. And and I think the thing about like the hard jokes, for me at least, is that it's a muscle. Mm-hmm. And when you're in those rooms, you just get better and faster and better and sure. faster at that kind of stuff. Um, but again, I would say like most of my area of those jokes still come from like an emotional place, sure. even if it's in like a big broad comedy. Was that when you transitioned out of the Apatow camp yes. into the? Well, you never leave. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> when you struck out on your own a yes. bit, um, and you know you need to grow up, leave the yeah. nest a little. No, <laughs> never. <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously, during all those years, I was at table reads for everything Judd did, giving notes on everything. I saw a four and a half hour cut of Anchorman. Like, oh, I'm sorry. And no, you know what? <laughs> I'm telling you, you don't want to really? see a four and a half hour cut of a lot, but there's stuff I still miss from that cut. That's so funny. Um, but, but, you know, I was at the first table read of Anchorman. Like, you just, he has this kind of um, formula and family, and hmm. we all just continue to support each other in that way. And it's great. It's like we have a writer's community. I send my scripts to the, you know, I ask Judd, when Lena and I do stuff that's separate from Judd, I absolutely ask his opinion on everything. I have him read things, you know. That's great. Lena and I working two other projects with him. Like, it's just, uh, it's, you know, right now I'm, I'm trying very hard to, I was just on the phone trying to convince Annie Mumolo to do this other project with us. You know, <laughs> and to join Twitter. Um, yeah, but, right? For God's sake. I know, come on. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just, um, it's a close group. And, uh, and you know, Judd, it's like, I don't know, the X-Men of comedy <laughs> nerds. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that image. Listen, if anyone is out there who can draw that, <laughs> Judd as Professor X. <laughs> I, by the way, I've never seen the X-Men, but I know the general gist of that. <laughs> that was dead on. That was great. Um, but I'm curious about, you know, when you're taking these other jobs that are outside of the Apatow camp. Yeah. And you're in more of these traditional sitcom rooms, yeah. which you have done. I have, but I, you know what? I did it twice. And then I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. Really? Yeah. Even developing your own no, stuff then I for decided, network? No, I was developing my own stuff. And actually, those, the two shows I developed on my own, like, one of them, I'm really proud of Help Me Help You. It, mm-hmm. is, it is not my voice now by any stretch, but I really, really loved it when I was doing it. We had the best time. I had a great writer's room. I learned a lot from everyone I worked with. Ted Danson is a dream. My cast was like Jim Rash, Darlene Hunt, Susie Nakamura, yeah. like all these amazing Ridiculous. people. And and that, you know, I was really thrilled to be working with. And we had Regent, New Regency as our studio, and they were lovely. They really treated us like artists who wanted hmm. and just helped us to complete our goals. Um, and even ABC was nice to us, honestly. So, like, 
I don't think of those as bad experiences sure. at all. And but but the ones I had before were fine. And they taught me some things, but mainly they taught me that I don't want to work on someone else's show anymore. Mm -hmm. That was the thing that I... And it was good because it made me kind of, you know, I, all my friends working on Law and Order, you know, live in palaces and <laughs> whatever. But at that time, I didn't have kids. I didn't have a mortgage. I was able to kind of, you know, not make a lot of money and do, you know, do stuff on my own. But that's a tough decision to make for someone early in their career. And, and right. like, I absolutely get that realization. Yeah. Um, and even, you know, having the leg up from working on the stuff that you had worked on. Yeah. And I, I imagine, like, how, how did you even go about achieving that goal? Well, it was actually, I mean, I had a very lucky trajectory in that I had a writing partner at the time and we wrote a pilot and they ordered the pilot but it didn't get picked up and then after that we sold another pilot and then mm -hmm. that one did get picked up and then after that we transitioned right into in the motherhood and that was it and then hmm. and then um shortly at, then i was like sort of doing future stuff i have this like weird part of my career after i broke up with my writing partner where i was um i was doing kind of the female <coughs> punch up for movies hmm. that Often we're already shooting. It started with comedies. Like I worked, Jay Roach, who I just—I mean, I'm sure you've heard—is like the worst guy. Who's <laughs> um, literally the nicest Almost. man in history, uh, only competing with his wife Susanna Hoffs for kindest human and most talented. But um, he brought me on to sort of—you know—it got to that point in Dinner for Schmucks. They had focused very hard on the two male characters, but they needed help with the female characters. So hmm. he brought me on for a few weeks to do that. And then from that, I was, like, doing a bunch of roundtables, um, again, sort of with the idea that I was doing the female, working on the female roles. And I, you know, worked on Red, and then I worked on Transformers 3, which was... Let's talk about yeah, these punch-up things. you might like them. We, we often, we don't talk to many feature writers to start, yeah. um, but this... The world of roundtables and punch-ups is so strange. It's really strange. And I've strange. done it a few times. And it's never terribly satisfying, but it's always fun. I love it. I yeah. literally, it's like one of my favorite things, like, until really recently when I just got too insanely busy. I have two kids, too, and I'm back and forth in New York, L.A. I would still say yes to, like, any <laughs> roundtable. It's a I, good time. It's always fun. And yeah. I just always met, like, that's how I met Schaefer Berg Mandel mm -hmm. and just, like, fell in love with them because they are, like, you don't even need a roundtable, just hire them and everyone, <laughs> everything will get done perfectly because they produce and direct and write. Like, they do everything and they're, like, basically wind up running every room. But, you know, like, I did one for, I can't even what movie was that? <gasps> a Vince Vaughn movie, but I did it with Imagine and it was, like, mm -hmm. Ron Howard sitting in that room. Like, it's just always kind of informative and interesting and, and, and doing the Transformers one, that's how I met Michael Bay and... Uh, Lorenzo, and that's how that's why they picked me for this job. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, and <clears throat> and they and it was crazy because the movie was in progress, and um, and I guess Megan Fox had quit or been fired. I never actually got the answer to that. Um, so there, I, this is not only she news um, exactly. And they had hired Rosie Huntington Whitley, 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 and they needed someone to kind of like spend time with her and try to figure out a character for her. And they they already <laughs> for this had movie the that writer. Was already the writer is like this great guy who is like 
a brilliant sci-fi writer and um he he's around it wasn't even like it wasn't brought in as like the polish right. of the movie this was just like they literally ran out of time and so and so i would just sit in the trailer and write and then sometimes sit on stage and watch michael bay do his thing and you know the most expensive movie i'd been on at that point was like a 40 million dollar comedy so like it really was i was <laughs> in a building talking to people where they were shooting and for real, they were like, okay, go stand up against the wall because the building's about to move. And it literally shifted <laughs> like 20% to the right. You know, we were all standing kind of sideways. Oh and God. it was, inc- I was like, felt like Jacques Cousteau. Like what? I just, it was nothing like anything I'd seen. Plus he was filming in 3D. So it was like 8,000 monitors. And it was just, it was great. And of course I was there for like a lot of the comedy stuff too. So mm-hmm. Andy Daly was there oh, and Ken Jeong. And that was really fun. And I, I sort of knew them. And, um, but that was like one of the most surreal experiences of my oh, life, but I loved it. It was like, mm-hmm. when am I ever going to get to go sure. be on a Transformers set? And they were all so nice. And it was like, everyone was lovely. But let me ask this and maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah. It certainly doesn't matter to me. Yes. Um, then that's not. <laughs> this, this is for our young viewer, our young listeners. Um, you know, you're clearly you're, you're creatively satisfied by girls, by the pilots you're doing, all yes. this other stuff. When you do punch up on something like Transformers, yes. and it's adding comedy to this robot right. sci-fi movie, right, right. or it's trying to figure out this character, right? Is that satisfying in a creative way? Is it pushing a certain button for you? No, that one isn't really that satisfying creatively, but it was so exciting sure. just to be there. And yeah. it was just funny because it was like there was this mo- moment where, like, Rosie walks in and there's a whole dialogue about, like, the car. I, I haven't seen it, actually, so I don't know what, <laughs> if it's in it. But there's this whole thing where, like, the she walks in and she's talking a lot about the car she just drove there, but she's wearing a white, tight, like, see-through dress and not carrying a purse. And I was like... I wonder where the keys are to that car. You know, I was like, and I would say, like, awesome. do they need keys? And they were like, don't worry about that. That is not your job. Oh, but, my God. But, um, you know, that, I thought that was just so interesting that, yeah. that it was kind of creatively fulfilling in that way. Just, like, my brain exploded knowing that that's how they make those movies yeah. and seeing it happen and realizing at the end of the day that a movie set is a movie set. Right. And it's that's there funny. are a lot of similarities, yeah. too. But I also, like, honestly... Being in a comedy room with like really great writers, and which it usually is, those round tables, and um, you know having that magic of getting a joke in, or you know when the room invents a joke together, kind mm-hmm. of it starts with one person, then moves to the other, and then someone makes it a little better. Like that to me is like real. I mean, I hate jazz, but that's the way people describe jazz. In, that's, <laughs> that's how every comedy writer describes the writing room of, I hate jazz, but is I know it's true? like this. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what... Um, that's really fun. That's what, that's what I really yeah, do that find that fun. And I would, I mean, if, if I had, uh, if someone asked me at the right time, I would fully do it again. And I still do it for, all the time for mm-hmm. my friends and their shows. That's great. That's really and it's it's nice to find that community. Yeah, I mean, like people talk oh. about how rare that is yeah. in Hollywood, but I, I don't know that that's true. No, I mean, I, I mean, I'm trying to like I gave notes on this is the end. Nick Stoller just read something we did. You know, we get a lot of input from mm-hmm. from our friends, and a lot of these guys for you. I mean, as you said, go back. 
20 years yeah, now, yeah. which is crazy. I know. Um, Children are grown-ups. Let's, let's talk about, was Undeclared your first writing job, yeah, your first staff first, job? Yeah. Uh, what was that room like? I don't think I've talked to anyone was, from Undeclared. Is that true? Yeah. Um, which is such a great it was show. The gr- I mean, it ruined us, I think, <laughs> for writers' sure. rooms for eternity, because... No one really knew how a writer's room worked, and this is, it certainly did not run like a normal writer's mm-hmm. room. Um, it was heaven. It was Judd, Rodney Ron, Rothman mm-hmm. under him. Um, me and Nick and my writing partner, Allie, were the staff writers. Seth was in there just as like, throw that guy in. He, he's funny, which, you know, he turned out to be everything he ever said was the funniest thing anyone's ever <laughs> right. heard, and he was like 11. Oh, goddamn um, these people. Joel, Joel Madison, who's oh, a great sure. writer. Um, else was in that room it later transformed a little bit as we got into production lou morton joined from futurama and um um gabe and jeff sax and mm-hmm. judah who have gone on to do a million other things yeah. um but it it ran i mean judd brought us into undeclared before a kind of like uh what we did in girls which is that judd just had an idea mm-hmm. and his main idea was um this kid who goes to school gets late his first night and then his father shows up and says, you know, I'm getting divorced. Um, and then, but he, they, he had an order for six. So we just were working on the six. And, hmm. and so that was like completely unique. And the way it ran was completely unique. We did not, um, Judd doesn't use monitors. Mm-hmm. We don't sit, we don't, I mean, now everyone sits around with their own computer. Right. Cause I've seen pictures. <laughs> I've not seen one of those rooms in person, but, um, you know, he doesn't use a monitor. It's a lot of you, the first day you go in, and we still do this, and everyone has to write 50 ideas off the top of their mm. head of story ideas, and we still look at those ideas, and they still spark other. I mean, I remember Seth wrote, um, a guy gets really sick, and that turned out to be the episode where Marshall got really sick, and then <laughs> Monica had to take care of him and wouldn't let him take real meds, but, like, that's how that started. That's funny. And Judd is unbelievably good at finding a kernel of an idea and being able to then pitch out the whole idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And another thing that was really rare about that show is that we were all, no matter what level we were, we were in charge of our, we were the captain of our scripts, we were in casting, we were in editing. Um, I mean, I was in casting when Carla Gallo came in. Like, he just had me sitting there. I was like, nothing. (laughs) I just liked her, but like, you know... uh, he he empowers everybody and he because he's so confident in his own work doesn't feel threatened by everyone and that is something that i have like completely embraced hmm. you know which is that everyone can do those jobs and you don't have to earn you don't have to like work your way up till you can be in editing like it's your script go into editing yeah. take a shot at it did you guys have you know besides the technical ownership of the script how yeah. much was revised how much was written together on undeclared yeah our first script was like thrown out i remember yeah. we got notes on it that was like this is terrible <laughs> and then and then um we wrote the first our first one was the will ferrell episode mm-hmm. um and then and then we just slowly started. We had wrote, wrote it like a sitcom. We wrote it like shows we watched. Mm-hmm. And Judd was like, "This sounds like a sitcom. This is not the show we're doing." I mean, it was our first show, so yeah, you know, I'm sure we cried for ten minutes and then we moved <laughs> on. And then um, we started to rework it and rework it. And then he would take like us and Seth Rogen and sit and do it. Or sometimes he would take Seth and Nick and work on it. Hmm. It was very, very communal. Um, and 
you know, you'd always sit on set every single day of your episode and pitch jokes and, and you were empowered to really, you know, like Greg Mottolo is a director. I'm not sure if he was of that one, but I think mm-hmm. he was. Yeah, he was. And, and, you know, we were empowered to like really talk to Greg about the scenes and, and Greg really became one of those. He was part of the X-Men too, sure. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and is what, that, if, what if the X-Men's like about rapists? Like, like, <laughs> like I, I'm just making None of us are. Parallel. We're all completely unfamiliar <laughs> with it. It's just about rapists. <laughs> um, why did you make so many... Why did you call us rapists? That I whole think time? you meant the Justice League, but she kept saying X-Men, which is about murderers and rapists. <laughs> uh, is this communal way of writing the way you guys uh, work on girls as well? I mean, girls is a little different because we have really, really high-level writers. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone pretty much turns in a script that's good. And then that's eventually, like, Lena and I will take one shot over mm-hmm. it, but it's little, little stuff. But, like, getting the script to where it needs to go. Also because we have a lot more time. Like, with Undeclared, it was like we were shooting those yeah. the next week. With girls, we have all the time in the world, really. So everyone gets their script, basically, to where it needs to go. And then do you, there might do, you be, do like, all the writing up mess. front? And then start production. <laughs> I wish. This, every, this isn't, year, uh, every year we say bad. we're going to. Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, I, I, I wish like we could start today, and we wouldn't. It wouldn't happen like that. <laughs> um, but we we're getting better. I mean, mm-hmm. right now, our producer Eileen Landris is like having a nervous breakdown, <laughs> just knowing that those words are in the air. But but oh. but we we try to get better, definitely. And and this year we, I mean, we had. I think like six scripts in vague shape. Out of what? 10, 12? Out of 10. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, again, it's not done. If right. it were done, it would be incredible. Yeah. But I just don't think we can. I think too much changes when we're there and mm-hmm. we're working with the actors. It's like it has to be a little more fluid than that. But it, I mean, it's just, and the reason I asked is it, it feels like you must lose Lena once production starts. Um, no, we really don't. I mean, okay. we lose her, her to some extent, but. Lena um, sleeps like two hours a night. She's one of these Yoko she, We do literally. We go, we go in um, to. We go into the writers' room at lunch when we need to. Okay. We have separate meetings when we need to. We really don't lose her, which is pretty incredible. And you know, it's one of the reasons we come to sort of rely more heavily on our other directors because that's really the job someone else can do for her, mm-hmm. um, whereas acting is not and sure. writing really isn't. So it's like. You know, we gave uh, Jesse Parrots an extra mm-hmm. episode. And I that. love that you guys have got him. Oh, we love him. He's he's the one nicest of our guy. And he's the greatest. Yeah, that just cracked me he's up. He's terrific. All our directors are great. I mean, we have an amazing crew that's like pretty, pretty stable now. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, we keep get people will send us resumes for amazing directors, and we're just like we kind of now have our people and. It, it's pretty neat how it is. How does the shooting in New York compare to LA? Um, I mean, let's see. You can be honest. I mean, no, no, I was just going to say we shoot during summer, so it's not. I think that the real differences happen during cold weather. Mm-hmm. And our crew who works work on Orange and work on um, Blue Bloods and stuff like that, they will tell us the horrors of working during winter. Mm-hmm. But in general, I mean, I would say, I mean, I don't know. Craft services is better in L.A. I don't know why. 
Um, and, really and, and catering both. Yeah, it's um, crazy. Uh, but but other, other than that, I don't know. Less agent visits. Like it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not that different. I mean, you know, the difference that we have right now is that we have this producer Eileen Landers who did eight years on The Sopranos. Oh, wow. So she's like wildly overqualified for us. <laughs> so the difference has been that. So it's seamless. Like mm-hmm. I, the difference I notice is that my life is better. <laughs> So I that's don't know if that's right. New York or L.A. or just yeah. Eileen. Yeah. Uh, well, and certainly it's on the screen. I mean, you couldn't make this show in L.A. No, you could not. It would not. be a very different program. You could not. You really could not. Um, and and uh, it's funny. We met. We were talking to Aaron Sorkin once. We met him at, like, an HBO event. And we were standing, like, we didn't even really know where we were. It was like they had shuttled us to a party after, like, a press thing. And... He was saying, well, why, you know, I, I just filmed the newsroom a few times a year. Da, da, da. You should do that. Jenny's kids live in L.A. You should do that. And Lena was like, no, no, like, I breathe the streets. It's part of my process. And then, like, moments later, she had said, like, well, we should go and pointed this way and said, like, we should go north and da, da, da. And he was like, that's south. And then he, like, <laughs> teased us mercilessly about, like, living and breathing yeah. in the streets of New York. It was very oh funny. God. <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> it was very hysterical. Um, so, so I did want to follow up. So you and Lena uh, have a hand. You guys touch every script. Um, yeah. Which... Despite, you know, which is just how it goes. No matter how great your writers yes. are, shows have a singular voice. Yes. Um, you had worked with a writing partner before. Yeah. She has not, although yeah. has obviously collaborated as a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you guys work together? Um, well, when we're writing, like when, when we start a season or when we're working on like another pilot or something, um, what we love to do, like our dream way to work together is we rent a hotel room and stick and sit in it for two days and just order room service. Like we don't even go, we go somewhere nice and don't even go outside of the room. And then um, like a nice Palm Springs place where theoretically you could be by the pool. We don't even do that. And, you know, we watch like Shonda Rhimes shows for like sure. eight hours. That's the warm up. Exactly. <laughs> and then we write a few scenes and then we watch a little more TV. We both have like a very similar rhythm for mm-hmm. that. So that's when we're really doing like our heaviest collaboration. We do that. But usually what we do, we outline together, we split up scenes, we write them, and then we switch computers and really? rewrite each other's things. Mm-hmm. And I imagine you know you guys have the mutual respect that writing partnerships have to have yeah that, like when you're rewriting each other it's not about feelings it's not about you no know, it's to- the best, there's no the best work yeah lines. yeah yeah that no i mean we have so many feelings about other things there's no <laughs> there's no room for it there um and we just we like you know it's been four years we really understand the voices sure. of our characters and you know and i think i mean at least for me like when i'm writing stuff that she's gonna look at i'm writing to impress her mm-hmm. like i'm pushing myself That's as hard as thing. i can so that she'll be like, oh, my God, or she'll laugh really hard. And, you know, that's that's the way I love to work with her. Mm-hmm. And we get really proud when the other one laughs at each other's jokes totally. and stuff. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, you want to be of the caliber for your collaborators, yeah. for your co-writer, totally. for your cast, for your directors. Yeah, and same with Judd. Like, oh, my God, you know, when we write with Judd, it's the same way. Like, when he's like, oh, that's really funny, we're like, yay, <laughs> so happy. You know, like we're seven or something. <laughs> um, it's a good feeling, it though, because you're really working with people feeling. at the top of their game. That's right. Um, is, there, is there stuff 
There must be conversations in the room about how far to push things, where the line is for the show, what feels right for the show, what doesn't feel right for the show, especially in the early seasons. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we were we have not been that concerned about the line, and I mm-hmm. think that is reflected in criticism about our show and admiration of our mm-hmm. show, but like, you know, Certainly a lot of people think we cross the line a lot. Well, what line are they thinking like, of? Well, it depends. Because I've been thinking like, of a whole other line. Like, I mean, I, you know, there was some... When we did the Sherry Appleby episode where mm-hmm. she's crawling across the ground mm-hmm. and they're playing kind of S&M games and, um, and, and some people perceive that as rape. And um, I never saw it that way, mm-hmm. and I was super surprised that people saw it, saw it that way. And um, our friend Stephen Elliott, who's like the king of all things uh, S&M, <laughs> or BDSM, or whatever it's called, um, you know, was like, I thought that was a perfect BDSM scene, so we were hmm. so excited. We felt like we, that, that was the review that mattered. Right. Um, but, uh, he, uh, you know, certain things like that, I mean, I can never tell. I'm always wrong when I think something's going to be perceived as, I'm like, oh, well, here we go, get ready, Twitter, and then it just, like, breeze, I can't think of a good example, but hmm. we just breeze over that, and then other things I don't expect kind of to see. The scene, also a scene that Stephen Elliott thought was good, BDSM, is the scene where she he's jerking off, and she's like, I want your money, I'm taking your money, I need gum and pizza, you know, and she's, like, <laughs> playing that game with it, you know. Things like that. But gum and pizza makes it a perfect comic scene. (laughs) It's true, but comedy does not stop people from getting sensitive about things. Um, And they can find you on Twitter and let us know. And they can find us on Twitter and let us know, and they certainly do. And that's the great thing and the terrible thing about Twitter. (laughs) I do love it. Um, But so, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I didn't expect people to be so shocked about Lena showing her body so much. Hmm. That that was yeah, that, a line we were pushing that I didn't even realize. I mean, I knew the sexuality was really frank, and I knew there were scenes that weren't. Um, that you know, I knew we were doing mostly scenes that were bad sex. We have very few scenes that are good sex. <laughs> which, like, well, it's not funny. honestly, yeah. Um, and but you know, all this stuff about Lena's body is like insane to me, and that people are yeah. still talking about it is so bananas. I mean, it just goes on and on, and it's like, yeah, you're used to it, but. So that's a line apparently we're pushing that I'm like, no, we're not. Yeah, I mean, I always, the thing that always occurs to me, especially in a show like this where you can be so, it really is so grounded and the the comedy comes from the emotions and the characters, is where's the cartoon line? You know, when do we push it too far and too silly? And I don't know that you guys have done that. I don't know. There have been some, I'm trying to think. I know there are things when I'm like, that is really broad, but I Mm -hmm. don't mind it because it, Somehow has a grounded yeah. and part of it thing is in it. The feel of the show. I part think. of it is like the feel of the show, and you know what? Sometimes we go really silly, and sometimes we do more physical stuff than we would normally do. Mm-hmm. And um, but we always feel like we ha- there's some innate sense in our writers' room mm-hmm. where people go, mm, "That's a lot," and it's not even like controversial. It's just sure. yeah, like broad or something yeah. like that. Um, well, it feels like your room is made up of like-minded people with different perspectives, which is 100%, just what you want. A hundred percent. I mean, I think, like, Bruce Kaplan is the one who is, like, he's the one I look at a lot for, 
like, is this too awful? I, you know, or is this offense? Is this going to hurt uh-huh. someone's feelings, which we really never want to do? Sure. Um, things like that. Like, he's like our sensitive moral compass, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and, and it just it just completely... It just completely varies. Um, what do you episode think? Episode to episode, sure. too. What do you think your strength in that room is? What do you think you're bringing to the table? I mean, I think one of the things that I just I learned from Judd is just pushing people further. Like I, hmm. Lena always laughs because I use I, she quotes me saying uh, like Let's crack our brains open. So it's like if there's a scene where we're all sitting here doing a podcast, and it's actually like the scene's okay. Like the podcast is okay. It's it's working. Right. There's a little seat, tension, everybody. whatever. And then it's like, but what if we crack our brains open? And what if like you know something falls down from the roof and kills him? No offense. <laughs> you know, it's like that idea. Like, what if we just like crack our brains mm-hmm. open? And that's I think. That's the thing that I think originally came from Judd in some way, and that is my probably most valuable role in the room. And that's, I mean, that's very valuable. I don't know. I mean, it really know, is. Sometimes, it's, although let's, you let's could just really it. train someone to say, let's crack our brain well, open sure. three times a week, and it might work also. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not saying you're not replaceable. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, when does the next season premiere? January at some point. Okay. We'll get this out by then. Yeah. Um, what else are you working on? A million things, right? A lot of things, yeah. Some of them I can't talk about because they like have rights sure. issues. But we're doing um, a pilot with Jessica Williams mm-hmm. from The Daily Show, who was also in so our good. show last season, who's amazing. And we are doing, and that we're doing with Judd, too, which is great to be re-collaborating on that. And we are, let's see, what are the things I'm allowed to talk about? Oh, yeah. So we have two documentaries, and oh. one of them is about to... Is we're, we're just wrapping up, which is about Hillary Knight, who's the illustrator of all the Eloise books. Oh, cool. And so we're doing that with a director, Matt Wolf, who's really great. He made this amazing movie called Teenage. I never He's that. wonderful. I recommend okay. it. Um, and then we're doing this documentary on these tailors in New York called Bindling Keep um, that they do um, tailoring for... Like mostly trans people. Yes, I just read about yes, this. Right, right. It, it was got, just announced. For some or reason, something. they did a story about it, even though mm-hmm. we've done one of the stories. <laughs> it's called Three Suits. We're doing three suits. We've right. done one suit. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah, it's great, and it it was an idea that came to us from our boom operator, no and way. who has a past in documentary filmmaking, but like all of us, has to pay rent and you know health insurance and all of that right. and so he he um, came to us there was an article in the New York Times and told us about it and we were like this is so great so we're working on that now and we sold that to HBO too and Fantastic. so we have a lot of stuff at this point do you waltz in and are like I get this this notion I'm toying with not really I would say <laughs> yes no I would say that happened once really yeah like that happened with the Hillary documentary that's funny but now it's like a little you know now I mean because HBO isn't that big. Right. So there's a tonnage issue. So, like, they could let us set up 25 things. We're not going to get 25 things on the air. So we all have to be a little careful about it. <laughs> uh, but it sounds like you're going to do lots of stuff you want to do. And yeah. That's, that's a great position. And mainly we that's have an cool. office now, which is very That's exciting. real nice, too. You have to come see it. It's fancy. <laughs> um, before we end, yes. do you have time to watch television? Are you watching anything are you that you're All excited I do is about? Watch television. Let's get into it. Okay. What are you watching that you love? Well, I will what say are this. you guys talking about to each other, to the room, to your family? We're obsessed whatever. with. We're Shondanistas, which is a phrase 
I coined, and I'm very proud of it. Please take it out to the world. Have you take met? It to the have streets. you met Shonda? Yeah. Okay. And I love her, and I love Betsy, um, who's her producing partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so Scandal is a huge one. Sure. Um, I'm very excited about the new show. Um, what else? I'm, I tweet about all the shows. Oh, The Americans is my favorite show right now. It's great, right? I think it's incredible. I mean, I think it is like the most fun show, and I love watching it. I love, you know, I mean, with a gun to my head, I could not plot out an eighth of what they do. Like, we're like, should she stay with Ada? Like, that's our <laughs> thing. And they're like, Cold War, but paralleled with their marriage and their daughter. I mean, it blows my mind how brilliantly they plot that show. And also, you know, there are some shows that have been on that I have loved, but you've seen them, like, go off the rails. Mm -hmm. And so you start getting scared sometimes watching Homeland. Like, I don't know if I can trust you guys to keep doing this right. Like, are you going to throw something at me that doesn't feel like it was planned at first? You know, like that Twin Peaks-y end of Twin Peaks feeling. And, and, but with the Americans, I feel like so safe. I'm like, I am in, you are not going to fuck with me. I can trust you guys who I don't know, but I love that show. I love the style (laughs) of it. They're in New York too. I love, I know I have to meet them. Crossover you guys. We do like our script supervisors on that show. Nice. Um, And just, I think this casting is amazing. I love the leads, but oh my God, that woman who plays Martha Oh, she, like, where, who is she? She's so brilliant. Yeah. So I love all that. I love, um, oh, I'm trying to think, what else do I love? Uh, I watch The Americans. I watch um, Scandal. What else do I tweet about? I'm like, I'm really like a vocal tweeter on shows I love. I love Parks and Rec. That's my favorite comedy on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Broad City's great. Um, a lot of comedy people don't tend to watch a lot of comedy. No. But, I don't, but you're also, just a consumer of I, television. I, 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 but I don't watch a lot of comedy. And the truth is, when I watch drama, because I have no experience, mm-hmm. I literally, like, I watch The Americans like, oh my God! Like, I can't, I am so shocked. I'm like knocking over coffee oh cups God. because I don't see anything coming because my brain <laughs> doesn't do that kind of plotting. Whereas, like, sure. with most, most comedies... I see all the jokes coming. Yeah. I see where the story's going. Even if it goes this way, I know basically it could have gone that way or this way. With drama, I'm genuinely surprised and genuinely excited. I feel like I'm missing one of my favorite shows, and I can't think of what it is. <laughs> Listen, you'll tweet about it. I will. People will, and you'll will know. find you there. We'll um, retweet. Yeah. Uh, listen, that's a good list already. Oh, Good Wife. I love The Good Wife. That's a good one, too. I really, really like it. And, um, you know, I think they're really really smart at plotting too and I love yeah. it feels like a Jane Austen novel to me it, the romance moves comparison. so slowly and beautifully yeah. and that Josh Charles thing holy <laughs> shit oh my god that was incredible and how they kept that a secret I mean I do Seriously. not know but I love that and I love they use so many great New York actors yeah. and so I love that show too. All right, I feel like that. All right, my, you got, you got the one you were missing. Yeah, uh, Jenny, thank you so much for thank being you. Here. This we is appreciate so fun. it. Totally painless. <laughs> That's all we go for. Totally <laughs> painless. Now leaving nerdist.com. 